Praise God. Amen. Well, we're ready for the Word of God. We're in a series called Family Strong, How to Build Extremely Strong Families. How many of you want to have a strong family? Amen. Good. That's, that's good news to hear. Today, I want to share with you on the particular topic of the godly example of a father we find in the Scripture. And all of us today need a godly example of fathering. And uh, fathering, frankly, is a tough job, right? Being a father is one of the toughest jobs on earth. Now, it's easy to parent a child. It's not easy to father a child. Amen? And there are no manuals. There's no college courses to instruct us. Frankly, it involves a lifetime of trial and error, and hopefully other people with great wisdom that are happy to pass along some of those lessons. It's a life that absolutely demands that we look to God and that we receive from Him His wisdom on how to effectively be a father. Now, here's what I'd like for you to do as we prepare to to look at a passage of Scripture together that is well known, but I want to tell you how to interpret it with me today. Um, Today I'm going to be speaking about the example of a godly father, and next Sunday, a week from this today, we're going to hear from a mother's perspective. So Denise Parocco is going to teach us about family and parenting and marriage from a woman's perspective, and I can't wait to hear it. So uh, we're looking forward to that as she will wrap up our series next week. Now Luke chapter 15, all of you are familiar with it because it's commonly referred to as the study of the what? Story of the what? The prodigal son, all right? And most people, when they read this, are focusing on, their, their whole focus is on what? The son. There's three primary characters in the story. There's two sons, a young son and an eldest son. And then, of course, there is the father. That's pretty much it, other than father, servants, and a few friends on the outside. But uh, I know that typically we, we want to focus in on the son. Uh, but here's what I want to do. We don't have time to focus on all the characters today. So we just want to hone in and focus on the father in the story. All right? Now, we're going to talk about him as an example of fathering. So the idea is hopefully that those of us that are in the room that are fathers or those that want to be fathers or those uh, in, in a physical, natural sense will have a lot to learn from. But this message goes beyond that because there's some of you are thinking, uh, some of you ladies are thinking, oh, well, you know, I can check out for the next uh, 35 minutes. And, and my encouragement to you is don't do that because there are lessons to be learned about God as our Heavenly Father. Amen? So we're going to learn some things from this story that Jesus tells us this parable, and we're going to learn some things that actually relate to our walk with a Heavenly Father. Didn't we just get through singing what? About good, good Father, right? And He is a good Father, and we'll see that this Father in this story is good as well. So it's going to relate to you in that sense, but on a third level, it's, it's applicable because God today is looking to raise up spiritual mothers and fathers spiritual fathers and there is a cry in people's hearts today to be fathered and mothered in a spiritual sense and uh, so we, we want to make sure that we are open to how the Lord might speak to us even about serving and being used by God as spiritual fathers and mothers and I think some of these principles will apply so if you turn your Bibles I'm going to read to you out of the New Living Translation this story Luke chapter 15, and it begins in verse 11, Luke 15, and I'll begin reading, I'll read the whole story, 
and then we'll break it down together. It starts in verse 11. Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this son packed his younger son, packed all of his belongings, and took a trip to a distant land. By the way, notice he didn't take long at all, did he? I mean, I mean, it was like, boom, he had a plan. The moment he got the money, he's off, right? So he packed his stuff, he headed to a distant land, and it says, and there he wasted all the money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, there was a great famine that swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer there to hire him to feed his pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the food that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, how many of you know coming to your senses sometimes is a process? When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the servants or the hired men have enough food to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. And he said, I will go home to my father, and I will say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. By the way, can even though we're not studying the, the son, can I just point out when he says, I've sinned against both heaven and you, he had, he had a really good idea of what it took to repent. And he understood that he had sinned not only against his own father, but he had sinned against heaven, against God and his word. So that's, by the way, uh, when, you're, when you're getting your life right in some way, First, we need to realize how it's offended God, how it's displeased Him, and disobeyed His Word, and then we get things first right with Him, and then with those on the horizontal plane, okay? So anyway, uh, he figured it out, and he said, please, this, this is what I'm going to do. So we read then in verse uh, 20, it says, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger." sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening in the pen we must celebrate with a feast don't you like that we must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life he was lost but now he is found and so the party began meanwhile the older son was out in the fields working. 
And when he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. And he said, oh, your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the calf that we've been fattening and has prepared a great feast. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Notice the older brother's reaction here. He was angry and he wouldn't even go in and join the party. So his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've worked hard for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, did you notice that impersonal reference? He didn't say, my brother. Did he say, you feel that? You feel an attitude underneath that? Yeah. So he said, when this son of you uh, comes comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the finest calf that we have. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you and I are very close, and everything that I have is yours, belongs to you. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So we find this great story in Luke chapter 15. It is a parable. It is a story that Jesus tells probably for several different purposes. Today, we want to use this story to teach us about the godly example of fathering. And I want to glean for you eight specific qualities of a godly father from this story. Eight specific qualities and attributes, characteristics that we see of this father in the parable that you and I can take and say, that, that applies to me. As a father, I need to make sure that I'm following that great example that Jesus gave to us. In terms of those of you that are not fathers, and even if we are fathers, we can accept this and learn a lot from God's goodness and how he treats us, amen, from this story. And of course, uh, as I mentioned, it also relates to spiritual fathering and mothering as well. So let's look at some eight qualities of a godly father because we desperately in this day need godly fathers. You ready for these? All right, eight of them. Number one, number one, straightforward and simple. He provided well for his family. This father, it is apparent, uh, had done a great job of applying the work ethic in his own life. He had worked hard, built up a measure of success, and, and, and we, we see obviously he wouldn't have anything to give to his sons. He wouldn't have an inheritance to give to his sons if he hadn't worked hard and provided well for his family. Is that a godly quality or not? Yes, it actually is. Proverbs 19 and verse 14 says, Fathers can give their sons an inheritance of houses and wealth, but only the Lord can give an understanding wife. Someone say amen to that, huh? Only the Lord can give an understanding wife. And I'm not going to touch the last phrase there. I'll leave that for Denise next week. But anyway, we'll talk. Only fathers can give their sons an inheritance. Wow. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 gives pretty strict guidelines for the church, which, by the way, I find very few churches talk about or implement or execute. Listen to what it says. Anyone that does not provide for their family, for their relatives, for their family members, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith 
and is worse than an unbeliever. How many of you say, that sounds harsh? And yet we find it's consistent with other passages in the New Testament that tell us if you don't work, you don't eat. No worky, no eaty. All right? <laughs> biblical principle. Yeah. So uh, we, we clearly see here that this, that this father understood the work ethic, didn't he? And he, uh, he had something to divide up among his sons when it was time to give an inheritance. That's a pretty good example. Uh, we as fathers today need to make sure that we're providers. Now, by the way, a lot of fathers think that all I have to do is be a provider, and that communicates my love, and that's all there is to it. How many of you know there's more to being a good father than just providing and working all the time? And we have to walk in balance. But this is clear in the story, so we can learn from it. He provided well for his family. How many believe Father God provides well for his family? You believe that? Amen. Number two, he was a strong family leader. This father in this story clearly is a good leader of his family. Now, leadership is important in any organization, in any institution. You get a group of people together, and if there's no leadership, there's usually chaos and confusion. Someone once said that everything rises and falls on leadership. It's true in a nation. It's true in a city. It's true in your business. It's, through, it's true in a church. It's true in any different group, including the family. There has to be leadership exercised in the family. This father very clearly demonstrates that leadership in a number of different ways, but I think you can see that he is clearly the leader. He's a take-charge leader. He, made, he was decisive in how he was going to deal with the son's request, and uh, he's, he's, he's active in, in the way that he expressed his leadership. Is leadership important in the home today? The Bible tells us it is. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, when it's describing the qualifications of an elder, a, a leader, an overseer in the church, one of the qualifications is what? That they are able to manage their household well. Interesting that a spiritual oversight responsibility of a leader in the church, we are told that if they're going to serve in that way, they have to have a history and a pattern of doing what? Leading in their home well. Why, is that the, why should that be the case? It's not just the importance of family. It's a proof of leadership. In other words, if you can't lead in your own home, how do you think you're going to lead in the church? You see what I'm saying? So your leadership is proven and validated in your home. The fact that you have led and managed your home well, that tells us that at that particular qualification is satisfied. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 28 speaks about the importance of boundaries in our life and how that those who are leading in the home need to maintain it. It says, do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. In other words, by your parents and their parents and their parents, the idea is that we are to set values in our homes and, and guidelines for living. And many times today, we find our, our children and their children just totally throw out the window the boundary lines that have been set in the past. There's something to be said for good, healthy boundaries, guidelines, uh, house rules, if you will, that are important, that are valid. And I'm not just talking about weird, flaky stuff. I'm talking about valid, biblically-based core values. We're to uphold them and uh, pass them down from one generation to the next. This, this father, he was a good leader. And by the way, um, when you set good boundaries 
for your family. Do you know what the result is? Your children, they may push, but they actually will feel more secure when you have boundaries established that you not only set, but that you maintain. So it's good for your kids, no matter how much they complain. Uh, all right, let's look at number three. He was a strong family leader. Number three, he, this is very important. He realized, this father in Luke 15, realized that only God could change his son. Now, how many of you would admit, I have wanted to change my kids from time to time? You admit that not, all, not many truth tellers here today. But the truth of the matter is that if you have parented at all, you come to some point where you say, man, I wish I could change that. And the truth of the matter is, we can't. Did you notice in the story when the son is released? And by the way, let me see if I can emphasize how, what a big deal this was. See, today we think, okay, his son gets a certain age, and you know that was normal for them just to leave the house. This was not normal in the Bible day. In Bible days, it was normal for what? Families to do what? They simply stay together. All they did is add a room. At another level. So families and extended families live together generation to generation. Travel around the world a little bit, and you'll see that in many cultures that's the standard. In America, no. In fact, in America, we don't even take care of the old. We don't even take care of other generations. But, uh, but in, in Bible days in particular, and in parts of the world today, uh, it, is, it is practiced still to this day. You don't just move out. You simply... Move into a, you simply move into another room. You simply add on to the house. So the fact that this son wanted to take his part of the estate and zip out was a big rebellion. Okay. So in spite of the significance of his rebellion, how did the father react? Notice that the father didn't chase after him. He wasn't overly zealous, as parents can many times be. How many of you know that overzealous parents can at times push their kids farther away? And I'm particularly talking about when, when our kids grow and they get to uh, older years and then we want, to, we want to crack down even harder. And many times parents can exasperate their children, as we find in the New Testament, that warns fathers specifically fathers, about not doing that, not exasperating their children. This father set an interesting example. He actually allowed the son, we don't know exactly how old he was, but he must have been old enough to choose and make this decision that the father supported, but he allowed his son the freedom to choose his own path. Parents, listen to me. That's hard to do. And I know in this room we have parents who are here that, that are people, couples that want to be parents and will be parents. Uh, we have those who are here who are, uh, are, have children, young children. We have parents here who's, who are empty nesters. Your children have grown and left the house. And we have all different people, all different you know, contexts here. But the truth is we all, for some reason, instinctively think that we can fix our kids. Now, with young children, we're responsible to set the boundaries, set the guidelines. We're responsible to discipline them. We're responsible to instruct them, right? But there comes a time in, our, in the age and the development of your children, they will get to a certain age 
which if you apply the same methods that you had applied when they were four and five, I got news for you, they're not going to work when they're 16. And the young people said, amen, I heard that. It just means as parents, we have to use wisdom. Sometimes our approach needs to be like this father who basically his, his approach was stay back, let go, hold steady, wait for the Lord to work things out in my son. In the end, he realized that that was the best course of action. Did you know that parenting styles have to change in different developmental stages of your children? Uh, just as an example, I say this for those of you whose kids are at the stage of leaving home or going off to college or remarrying. Um, as long as your kids are living under your roof and you are the provider, then there is a chain of command. Everybody understand? We have a lot of military folks in this area. You understand chain of command, don't you? There's a chain of command. In other words, there is a chain of authority. And that means dad and mom are authority in the home. The kids need to honor that. By the way, kids should never outgrow honoring their parents, by the way. You never, you never graduate from that, all right? But there comes a point when the kids are now on their own, living, married, left the house, they're on their own, providing for themselves, that there's a shift that a lot of parents will, don't allow to happen or don't understand it should happen. And what I call it is it's the shift from the chain of command to a chain of counsel. You don't break relationships. But now no longer is it my way goes. It's my way or the highway. How many of you try that on your 26-year-old? You're just pushing them away, right? But instead, you want to have built a rapport and a relationship over the years with your children so that when they're on their own, now it shifts to a chain of counsel. And guess what? They come to you and they say, Dad, I need some help. Tell me what I should do. I'm going to fix. Now, I enjoy the fact of the matter is that my sons are, are, are friends to me at their age, you know, 30, 38 and 40. They're more like friends. They're still my sons. I don't force my opinions on them, though. So now I get really blessed when one of them calls me up and says, Hey, Dad. Need some help on this. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I've been waiting for months and months watching you. You know, chain of counsel, chain of command. It's an interesting distinction. So the point is that parenting, parenting styles change. But regardless, at the end of the day, we have to know when to release our children. Releasing them is not hard. I mean, it's not easy. Uh, this father knew. It was time to release his son to pursue his own path as wrong as the father thought and believed it was. Because why? His security, this father's security, wasn't in the behavior of his son. It was in God. He understood his security was where it needed to be. And he was able to entrust this child that God would change him. Parents, listen to me carefully. There's times that you simply have to let God change them. You have to resist the temptation to be the fixer. Stop trying to play Holy Spirit. 
and let God do his work. By the way, as a quick sidebar, husbands, you can't change your wife, but God can. Wives, you can't change your husbands, but God can. All right? That was free today. No charge for that at all. <laughs> Number four. Everybody understand the principle? He realized that only God could change his son. Number four. He instructed his sons in Christian living. He instructed his sons in Christian living. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about that there's formal instruction and there's informal instruction. And we gave you scriptures to support both of these. And both of them are important. He had obviously, you're maybe asking, well, where did you get that? If you look at verses 18 through 21, you will begin to see that when the son has finally reached the end of his money and he's starving and he starts to think, what should I do? He comes to his senses. The only way he could have come to his senses is to have father who had already instructed him in what's right, the right way to think and go about. So he already, he'd obviously been instructed in the, the, the consequences of, of rebellion and sin. He probably had been instructed on it. When, when you do find yourself convicted uh, in sin, here's what you do. You ask for forgiveness. And there's a certain way you go about it. He obviously had given to his son good instructions. They knew about asking for forgiveness. He understood about repentance. Proverbs 4 uh, the, the, the writer says, For I give you sound instruction. Do not abandon the teachings of your father. The idea is if we train up children in the way that they will go when they get older, what? They will not depart from it. So parents, fathers particularly, look for teachable moments. Look, uh, uh, Make sure that you're engaged in a formal instruction. You have times where you're teaching the word and helping to open up the word and accepting questions and talking through it with your family but also look for those teachable moments that's more informal and god will bless your efforts i promise let's look at the fifth characteristic this fifth quality of a godly father is he never stopped hoping i i love this view this picture that this this parable paints of you see the father literally at the edge probably of his property, looking down the road, and he's watching for what? To see his son returning. Now, his son didn't leave saying, I'll be back at a certain time. He simply had hope and trust that what? My son will return. He'll figure things out. I'm just thinking that's such an incredible picture of the hope and, and faith that as fathers and mothers we need to have, particularly when our kids might go wayward. We have to hold on to that kind of a, of a trust that simply says every day we, we, we're thinking and looking for the answer. And he was waiting, anticipating his son's return. And he knew, by the way, he knew how to wait patiently. Uh, that is not a, a spiritual gift, all right? Waiting patiently is a challenge. Can anybody agree? Or do you all do it well? Okay. He didn't know, I, I mean, he didn't, it was just something he learned. His character was such, he knew how to wait in faith. He never gave up hope. Never. 
In verse 20, we see him looking for the return of his son, saying, perhaps, perhaps today is the day. Hallelujah. Number six, he demonstrated unconditional love. This is maybe the pinnacle of these principles. He demonstrated what kind of love? Unconditional love. We don't find in this record anything about stern sermons being delivered to the Son. We don't find a heavy-handed lecture, do we? We don't find even when the Son uh, repented and returned home, we don't find what many times we're tempted to do when our kids make big mistakes and they realize it and they come back to us, what, are we, what does our carnality tempt us to say? I told you so. Son, didn't I warn you? I told you so. How many of you have ever gotten good fruit out of that? Huh? Anybody here ever got? No, you won't get good fruit out of I told you so. But here we have the example of a father that is exhibiting unconditional love. No blame, no no sternness in that sense, but instead he displayed compassion, love, and overflowing forgiveness. Just overflowing forgiveness to his son. I think we make a big mistake as parents when we connect our approval and our acceptance to their performance. We produce performance-oriented Christians, if they're Christians. But performance orientation is never good. And it really will provide a, 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 a hurdle that's hard to overcome in their walk with God. Because we know what? That a parenting relationship, as a, particularly with fathers, relating to your father gives you a father image and when you come to an age that all of a sudden you realize there is a God, did you know that you will automatically, because it's burned into your psyche, you will automatically think of God the Father the same way that you did your earthly father? Do you know that's the reason a lot of people struggle with their image of God? Because why? They have overlaid hurt, abuse, abandonment, all kinds of things that they learned from their earthly fathers, we simply now look at God through that grid. And it takes healing, it takes recovery, it takes deliverance to come to the point of realizing that's not God's character. That's what I may have grown up with, but I need to reject that and I need to get healed up so I can embrace Father's love. Can I hear an amen? amen. And we have to understand that's one thing that ought to motivate us as fathers today and grandfathers to make sure that we are showing that unconditional love. Wow. Unconditional love and forgiveness. Real love. Not based upon whether you came, you didn't come, you did it my way, you didn't do it my way. This father in the story never threw the son's mistakes back in his face. He didn't say, I told you so. Instead, he freely forgave his son, and he just welcomed him back. He just couldn't wait to hug him and welcome him back. In fact, when he saw the son coming home, tell me what this father's first reaction was. 
He did what? He what? He ran to him. What does that tell you? That doesn't show any reserve, does it, at all. That shows anticipation. That shows I can't wait to pour my love out, my unconditional love upon my son. He wasn't thinking about how he had just spent the previous years or however long it was. All he could think about was what? Showing forgiveness. Did you know I believe God the Father is the same way towards you and towards me, particularly when we're prodigals in one way or the other? particularly when we've pursued our own way rather than the Father's way. We've done things our own way. I believe I don't believe God is hesitant. I don't believe He's uh, reluctant. We don't have a reluctant Heavenly Father, but instead I believe we have a Father who's waiting every day, looking and hoping, waiting for us to turn our minds and repent. And He is quick and eager to what? To embrace us and to extend that kind of a Father's unconditional love to us. Listen, if you're here today and you've been running, you've been simply trying to pursue your own ideas of how to live and how to make it, God's ready to receive you back. Let's look at number seven and eight as we close. Number seven, he resolved conflict with wisdom. I don't have time to really get into this, but I just want you to notice in verse 28 through 32, you'll see it. At the end of the story, there's conflict. Who's the conflict between? First of all, the, the son, the, the, uh, the youngest son, probably expected conflict when he came back, right? He's probably coming back thinking, ooh, this isn't going to be pretty. I'm going to have to, boy, I'm going to have to do a lot in order to get back into the family. And instead, how did he resolve that conflict? He was focusing on his heart, his attitude of repentance, rather than his past rebellion. But there was also conflict with who? The elder brother. And you will notice the way that the father handles it. Notice that he's proactive. He pursued him. He wouldn't even come in. The older brother wouldn't even join the party. He's on the outside. He wouldn't come in. What does the father do? Proactive. He pursued him. And what did he do to resolve the conflict? If you want to study it, it's intriguing. He goes and he listens to him. Listening is important. The father listened to him, and then he affirmed him. He gave him the, the right response and answer, and then he affirmed him. He said, don't you know how much I love you? And everything I have belongs to you, son. But it's very apparent that this son had been carrying something deep inside for a long time. He knew how to resolve conflict, and he did it with wisdom. Listen, uh, we frequently have conflict in families. Uh, we end up with conflict with other people. And I'll just tell you what I've learned about addressing conflict and resolving it is ignoring it is not good. Ignoring it and just telling yourself, it'll just go away. It never gets better. In fact, only when someone has the courage to confront to confront in love, but with courage. And by the way, 98% of the American public hates confrontation. Yeah, there's a weird 2% out there that love it. But anyway, 98% hate confrontation. We just rather avoid it at all costs. But I'm here to tell you, to resolve conflict, someone has to step it up and have the courage 
to have a conversation. This father did. And number eight, finally, I have to add, had to add this one. He knew how to party. Didn't he? I mean, this guy knew how to party. And he did it well. And he involved others in the celebration. He probably invited extended family. And he uh, held back. He didn't hold back on spending money to celebrate and party and tried to involve everybody in the, in the celebration. And you know what? As fathers, we also need to learn how to make meaningful moments of celebration in our kids' lives, right? I've talked to you before about making memories. And this is obviously a memory this father was determined to never, ever overlook again. Now, here's what I want you to do. Stand with me, please. I want to apply this in prayer. I believe God expects us to respond to his word. And if you're here this morning and maybe you're a father or a grandfather uh, or a to-be father, and there's something in this example that spoke to you personally, and you need to respond today to God by saying, Father, I, I need to respond to that as a, as a human earthly father. Help me to apply that in my life. Would you just raise your hand to God? Put it right back down. God bless you. God bless you, dads. There's some of you today who say need to embrace one of these truths as far as it relates to your heavenly father. Something that you need to embrace about your heavenly father. And maybe you have a bad father image left from a childhood. But you can say today, I see something I need to, truth that I need to accept and ask God to help me with as you relate to your heavenly Father. If you're here and there's something that the Holy Spirit was speaking to you about a relationship with God the Father, would you just acknowledge that to the Lord by just raising your hands to the Lord. Heal me, help me. Put your hands down. I want to pray for you. Pray for you all. So I encourage you, you just open up and receive healing. Father, I, I pray for those of us who are dads. Some of us, Lord, our ki kids are grown and others of us still have children at home. But regardless, we need wisdom. We need your help. We need your strength to father our children. And Father, I pray for uh, even moms here who are single mothers trying to do their best to raise a family and whose the fathers are long gone. Father, I pray that you would help them and even as they adopt spiritual fathers and friends as uncles and those helping to add to the need of their children. Lord, I pray that you would bless them and that you would cause them to be resourceful and wise. Father, for us, for us who have a void and a wound and deep hurts because of ineffective or toxic fathering when we grew up. Father, would you heal us today? Would you minister life to us? Would you give us hope today? And Lord, that we would receive the fullness of healing 
that we all need. That we can have a healthy and wholesome walk with you, Heavenly Father. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Prayer teams, would you come forward? As we close the service today, I'm going to ask if you have a need for prayer, no matter what it is, a need for healing, a job, family issues, marriage issues, personal things, would you come and allow someone to pray with you today that the Lord will touch and meet your need through these prayers of faith, all right? So Brent is going to come. He's going to release you with just a declaration of blessing over your life. And uh, as he does, then you'll be dismissed. God bless. Would you look up at me for a moment? 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says that now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I want to bless you with a greater capacity to receive the love of God this week. Scripture says that he lavishes it upon us. May you be in a place where you can not only receive it, but be a conduit of his love and blessing to others. I bless you this week with a faith that is unmovable and unshakable. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, which means every day he's growing it and strengthening it. May this week your faith be strengthened. May your expectation increase. May your hope every day be unmovable, unshakable, firmly grounded in Christ. Scripture calls Christ Emmanuel, God with us. This week, may you have a deep awareness of God's abiding presence in every conversation, in every moment, in every struggle, that you'll know the, the closeness of God in those moments. And may your ears be attuned to His voice, your heart be open to receive His wisdom, His understanding. I want you to know today that you are God's blessed. You are the apple of His eye. You are His favored. May you walk in the grace and abundance of Christ this week. God bless you.